This is Vermont Credit Unions on Air, a service of the Association of Vermont Credit Unions. I'm Joe Bergeron, President of the Association, and with me is our Association's Vice President, Brian Kent. Among other hats he wears, Brian is a resident expert in shared branching and indirect lending. And those two things are what we're here to talk about briefly. Thanks for joining me, Brian. Oh, thanks, Joe. So let's start with indirect lending. We're fortunate in Vermont to have what I think is a pretty robust indirect lending program between credit unions and car dealers, or mostly car dealers. Uh, you just sent out a report recently to participate in credit unions. So how about sharing how things have been going this, this summer in the whole indirect lending arena? Sure. And maybe in answering that question, we'll do a brief overview of what indirect lending is. Great. I think many people are used to the traditional format of someone shopping for an automobile loan. It was some kind of back and forth. You might go to the dealership and find out what vehicle you wanted. Then when you found out the vehicle and the dollar amount, you'd probably get a purchase and sale and run it back to your credit union, uh, indicate that you want to get approved for a certain dollar amount. They would do some underwriting. They might try to get back to you in a day or two. You'd find out if you're approved. If so, you'd go back to the credit union, get a closing, get a check, and then make an appointment with the automobile dealer to, uh, to pick up your vehicle. And there's still a number of people who do that today. But I think in this day and age, Consumers are busy. They're always looking for something that's quicker, faster, easier. And probably for about a dozen years now, a dozen years plus, we've had an indirect lending program here in Vermont. And all that really says is we've got the member consumer at the dealership. They're ready to make a purchase. Can we make it quicker and easier for them? So we've developed partnerships with about 150 auto dealers, mostly in Vermont, but some that are in Massachusetts, some that are in New Hampshire as well, that says we can take an application from a member right there. Uh, and we have a great business partner that's been with us a number of years, CU Direct, where the dealer will submit an online application to the credit union. The credit union receives it, gives a response back to the dealership. And if everything goes as smoothly in terms of that end, we can give a response to the dealer and a member within 15 minutes. So, for example, Joe, if you and or your wife were shopping for a vehicle, you found something, um, there's no need to leave the dealership, make an appointment, do a separate closing. Everything's going to be right then and there. And Consumers and members have gotten used to that, that it's one-stop shopping. And in this day and age, roughly about 95% of auto sale financing now takes place at the dealership. So I always kind of use this uh, business formula of we're going to go fishing where the fish are. Um, you know, if that's where 95% of the business is, if you want to be involved in automobile lending, I definitely recommend that part of your strategy is being involved and in having the context with the indirect lending program. Uh, and Vermont, even though we're a smaller state, we've seen our program grow year after year. And on a report that we just sent out, I think we were just a hair under roughly 1,000 loans that were done at dealerships last month for about $16 million in terms of volume, which is very impressive. Uh, and we've seen Vermont credit unions grow to be one of the leading uh, sources of indirect lending in Vermont of just having a partnership, letting our members know that financing is available, doing the partnerships with the dealer, and partnering with CU Direct to use some technology to address that need as quickly as we can. Leading automobile uh, lenders in Vermont as a group, right? We are. Yeah, so yeah. credit unions in Vermont by themselves are actually the largest uh, auto lenders in the state, which right. is very impressive because you've got right. some large captives out there like uh, Ford Motor Credit and Toyota Motor Credit, which have very large national presence, but through a real concentrated effort in building up the relationships and a no small uh, credit to the credit unions themselves they have in these partnerships, we have been very successful in Vermont. So uh, are we really, we meaning credit unions, uh, in the indirect lending arena in Vermont car dealerships, are really competing with um, 
Ford Motor Credit and, and those kinds of organizations, or is it more competing with other financial institutions? I'd say, you know, in Vermont, um, probably the captives, what they're typically called, you know, the Ford Motor Credits, Toyota Motor Credits, are probably the leading competitors. Um, in some cases, it's hard to compete toe-to-toe on them. You know, for example, uh, if you're Ford Motor Credit, at the end of the day, you want a business model that works for Ford. So if that means offering 0% financing, and you may lose $500 on that part of the transaction, but it means a vehicle gets sold by Ford, and Ford makes money at the end of the day with that, that's a model that Ford can work with. If I lose 500 but say I make 3000 on sale of a vehicle, Ford still comes out ahead. Well, of course, for credit unions and banks would run into the same scenario. We have to at least make some money on the financing, otherwise it doesn't work. So in some cases, that can be a tough thing to compete against. But we'll try to find out options or recommend to members mm-hmm. of saying, if you don't take the 0% financing, is do you have the ability to do a, a credit or a rebate or something like that to the vehicle? And at the end of the day, is the financing going to be better the credit unions for it? Um, in some cases, you know, there'll be leases or things like that as well, which uh, there might be special financing or something for. So I would definitely say they're, um, they're one of the larger competitors that we deal with. Certainly banks uh, and other ones are, are present too. But uh, when you start going through the list and you start looking at the credit unions when you uh, run the summary reports of who does the most automobile lending, uh, the other ones that are quickly going to show near the top of the list are usually the captive financing agencies. For credit unions participating in indirect lending, you know, I'll read uh, frequently that, you know, indirect lending can be a source of a significant number of new members to a credit union. Hmm. Um, so in the Vermont data that you get each month or quarter or whatever, do you, uh, do, do you see or, or do you have a feel for what, um, if there's a significant portion of the loans you see approved that are uh, new credit union members or became credit union members because of this process at the car dealership or are there many like existing credit union members like you and me that walk in and say yeah I want to finance my car with ABC credit union or let the dealer send it out to you know three or four credit unions or whatever it's a great question most of the day that we've seen and it stayed consistent of you know, credit unions have a lot of members in the state of Vermont but we still have a relatively small market share both in Vermont as well as nationally. So what we'll usually see in the indirect marketing background is for every 10 loans that are done, seven of them are from new members to that credit union. That chances are you wouldn't have gotten that loan relationship without the business partnership from the dealer. And roughly the other 30%, many times like you had recommended, it's a member coming from a credit union and saying, I belong to credit union A or credit union B, I'd like to do my financing here. But uh, if you think in terms of a streamline cost-effective value to get a lot of members coming in and that gives you the ability for cross sales indirect lending is a great tool so 70 percent of those car loan deals that come into a credit union may conceivably be people that are new to that credit union and then that brings up the whole issue which is for another story later on of you know how do you leverage that that loan relationship into something more and get you know, the checking account and the credit card and the mortgage and, and all that kind of yeah. stuff. And that that's a deep, deep story. Yeah. And I'd say you're exactly right. But it, it opens the door to uh, many new relationships. It's a, start, right? it's a, it's a yeah. great starting place. Great, great. The, the volume, you said, was what, again, 1,000 loans last month? Roughly about 1,000 loans mm-hmm. last month. And sometimes in Vermont, it is seasonal. You'll see it higher in the summer months and right. lower in the winter months, only because there's more people buying vehicles in the spring and summer in Vermont, which is not atypical for New England. You have less people kicking the tires and going on dealership yeah. lots during the uh, the colder-type months. But, um, we're again, we're seeing record volumes. And I, roughly, I think about at this point in time, we've seen about $150 million worth of business this year. 
uh, and every year that continues to grow since That's we've awesome. the program. So um, you and I were talking earlier, and it's not specific to indirect lending, but it's kind of related about that whole uh, price of steel affecting mm-hmm. the used car market and the price of used car vehicles and whatnot, which I don't know if that causes uh, or contributes to a shift in consumer purchases and in these loans coming through, a shift from new cars to maybe a l- an uptick a little bit in used cars, or is it still like by far and away all new cars that get financed? We've seen a mix. We have a lot of relationships with some very high quality used car dealers, as well as a new car dealer who may sell new cars as well as right. used cars or something from the lot. But you are right. We're starting to see some early trends of what's gone on, particularly at the uh, the national level in regard to the tariffs. So mm-hmm. uh, if you're a Ford dealer and you, know, you were dealing with a Ford manufacturer, you're taking a vehicle, you're putting it on your floor plan, there's you know, nuts, bolts, steels, and everything that put that together. And if the cost of making those goods goes up because of the tariffs and the steels, that's going to make it more expensive to replace your inventory versus the one that you had on your lot. And it's all you know, supply and demand and prices. So if it costs a dealer, and I'll just throw this number out, an additional $1,000 to get that vehicle on the lot. Well, for the consumer, that's an additional, you know, the dealer either has to absorb that or the consumer needs to be ready to pay an additional $1,000 for that vehicle compared to what was there a month or so earlier. Uh, so that's a challenge in terms of the dealer as well as the consumer in terms of affordability. Uh, and then if you take into consideration, people may say, well, okay, well, let me take a look at a used vehicle. Um, you know, anytime that new vehicles go up, that's going to have almost a domino effect that that's going to increase the values of used vehicles. Sure. Because the consumer is just going to say, what's the best value for me? If the new one suddenly becomes more expensive, I'm going to take a more aggressive look at the used vehicle. More people taking a look at used vehicles, the average price of a used vehicle is going to increase. Now, whether that's going to stay or change, I think that's too early to determine, but certainly we've seen some signs as well as some uh, indications in terms of the uh, vehicle sales industry that they are seeing upticks in used vehicles because of that. So I know we've both probably read articles recently about, you know, related to the whole tariff situation and whatnot and, and on imports and so on and so forth and the price of steel and all that business. And um, it, I know some articles that I, I've read are people prognosticating ab- about, sure. you know, the price of car, new cars is going to go up, you know, 10, 20, 25% and different kinds of vehicles and so on and so forth. Um, so have you seen much of anything in the trade press or from indirect lending sources or whatnot about the, the future as it relates to indirect lending and, you know, if the price of cars went up dramatically in the, over the next few years in new cars, you think that would have much impact on indirect lending volumes? I do, and I think it's it's a matter of we're always trying to get our piece of the pie, uh, and it's probably logical to assume in the short run. Let's say a vehicle goes up $4,000. That's not an insignificant amount of money right. for any Vermont member or consumer. So I think one or two things are going to happen. If the member has the ability to postpone that purchase because they're saying, well, you know, if I have to pay another $4,000 now, maybe it's worth waiting two, three, four months and see if that price goes down if this tariff impact is going to be temporary. Uh, if that's the case, and we haven't seen it a lot, but dealers are starting to tell us that, you know, even though these are the summer peak months, and we did roughly a 1,000 loans last month, they're telling us there's less people on their lots. And if that continues, we may see September, October, November, December numbers being down from people, just like you said, postponing their purchases. Now, some right. people may not have that luxury right. uh, in terms of that end, but um, chances are if that's the case and it rebounds, we'll probably see one of two things, volume being down for a period of time and then volume probably spiking back up 
uh, if those tariffs end up going away sure. and, and prices come back to what they were before. Sure, so. sure. Well, neither one of us has a crystal ball to predict yeah. the future, but the numbers that you released for last month anyway look really good, and look, Vermont Cronians are being very successful in direct lending. They are, and they certainly deserve a lot of credit yeah. for uh, for building these relationships Great. and maintaining them. How many, one last thing, how many dealers do we have participating in the Roughly about now? 150 right now. Wow, that's great. So. And most those are mostly new car dealers, although there's a smattering of used car. There's, there's a fair number of used car dealers and a smattering of what recreational type vehicle stuff. Yeah, and, and we like have that. a few. We have some that sell like ATV type vehicles, yeah, right. um, some that do snowmobiles, but we have almost all of the new car dealers in wow. the uh, in the state of Vermont, a fair amount of what I call the recreational type ones. We have some motorcycle dealers and things like that as well. Uh, and then a good select group of just used car dealers as well. Awesome. So we only have a few minutes left. Can we move on to shared branching for a sure. second? So you, uh, I think we announced in Newslands Express, was it last week or the week before, the addition of a new credit union to the shared branching network. And so what does that bring us to, and what do the trends in shared branching look like these days? Sure, and I'll spin back in again. Shared branching, if you're not familiar with it, is basically a case of saying if your credit union belongs, you can do it one of two ways. You can be an issuer, which basically means that your member can go to another credit union branch site and conduct basic teletransactions as if they were at your site. And we're talking deposit of cash, withdrawals, balance inquiries. We're not talking about opening new accounts or getting checks or debit cards, but your basic teletransactions. And so again, issuer means your member can go to the other sites. You can also be an acquirer, which means basically that you know, you're going to have guest members coming to your branch for the same thing. And there's a national network system supported by Co-op Financial Services, which is a great partner of ours, that allows that all to take place. Uh, we were thrilled. We just recently brought on board in August Vermont State Employees Credit Union, uh, which gives us now four credit unions in the state of Vermont, which helps us strengthen it throughout the network. And I always get amazed when I take a look at the transactions. People would say, well, you know, how often is, are we going to see an issuer or acquire a transaction in there? Do people really feel it's valued? And I'm surprised myself. I just took a look. Actually, it was 18,000 times in just the state of Vermont. So if we took a look at the cumulative activity of the issuer or activity ones, in other words, issuer, my member went to another credit union, maybe in Vermont, maybe in California, maybe in Florida, uh, versus acquirers that we come in. If you add up the issuer and acquirer ones that touch Vermont credit unions on one side or the other, 18,000 times last month is how it is. And I think it's just a member of working smarter, working efficiently, as opposed to saying, uh, we're going to try to build a brick-and-mortar facility on every block to try to serve the entire state or try to give resources when people travel, is why don't we just find a way that we can use each other's branches um, where we can all win at the end in terms of cost efficiency standpoint. You know, indirect, uh, indirect lending, shared branching, i got to shift here. Yes. Uh, shared branching, um, you know, does does really fascinate me as a unique to credit unions um, uh, tool, sort of, and in that, you know, I haven't heard of any other kind of financial institutions that are sharing across-the-counter type servicing like credit unions do in shared branching, and I think that's just fabulous. Yeah. The way it touches me firsthand, and it does you too, is, you know, I have a son that's been in Denver for the past 10 years or so, and um, he's been a member his entire life of Vermont Federal Credit Union here locally, and ever since he's been in Denver, um, you know, between shared branching, uh, ATM machines, and uh, direct deposit, um, he's never, you know, joined another institution, another credit union, or, or gone to a bank or any other institution. He does everything with his local credit union 
from Vermont at uh, whatever participating shared credit unions are close by to him yeah. in Denver. And I know you have a similar situation. It didn't make me think yeah. of the GAC. I always think of uh, two things. You know, I think basically shared branching is flexibility, letting members go to wherever they want for a branch that's convenient for where they work or live or travel. Uh, as well as peace of mind. And uh, you and I were at the GAC last year, and I had a call from my son, ironically, who lives in Colorado. And uh, they were suddenly changing apartments, and he needed $500 right away sure. uh, to be able to uh, get into his new place. And, you know, if I think back to my uh, my dark days in the banking, that would have been a big challenge. And he called me and said, probably taking about 15 to 20 minutes, but let me see. And I pulled up the co-op app. Sure enough, there was a shared branching center that was near the convention center down in Washington, D.C. I was able to go in, identify who I was, move some funds from my account into his account, texted them back, you're all set. And he was wowed. And it was, that's just nice to know that if you ever need to, uh, it can make life a lot easier for you if you run into one of those financial emergencies or something that needs to get addressed right away. The, uh, the network is so robust. It's in all 50 states and down the district and things as well, and there's so many centers. Uh, it's just another resource tool that you can put in your members' toolkit to explain why people should use you as your primary financial institution. So I know the Share Branching Network makes it possible, or used to anyway, last time I checked this out, for a participating credit union to be selective about which branches it accepts or um, uh, transactions from other credit union members in, and that it also allows you to be selective, saying I only want to activate shared branching for like my members in Florida, not Vermont, or something like that, and so on and so forth. Um, but in, in practice, do most credit unions just open it up, with the exception of, you know, when you've got a branch in like a secure location, like a, a manufacturing facility or something. But for, for on the street kind of locations, do most credit unions just open it up to any member of any other share branch and credit union and likewise from their side to all their members and just say, if you want to use it, use it? It's a great question. So typically what we've seen is credit unions will say, you have the option, everybody in shared branching at least has to be an issuer, where it's basically the case right. that you're going to allow your members to go somewhere else. You also have the decision, business-wise, to be an acquirer, which means I'll accept guest members. And there's a, a small revenue that you earn because you're using your brick and mortar, your employees. So you earn money as an acquirer. You pay a nominal expense as an issuer. Most credit unions will look at it just in terms of convenience. They'll say, okay, I'm going to incur some expense as an issuer, but I'll make some income as an acquirer. Chances are those two will come close to offsetting each other. So we're going to choose to do both. Uh, I know a lot of credit unions in the beginning will be nervous of saying, well, how many members are going to come to me? And generally what we find, particularly in Vermont and many other states, is usually for every member that comes to you, it's an additional one of your members that was in line that's gone somewhere else. And all the members are really doing at the end of the day is they're saying, I still want to, you know, do all my banking uh, with my credit union. I just want to do it at the con convenience of what's near me at the time. And right. if, it's, if there's another credit union that's close to where I work or I traveling to or something like that, if it's quicker for me to go there, sure. Uh, and members, I think, come back to their uh, their institution all the time and say, this is great, you know, and I'm going to continue to have my relationship with you because you give me uh, shared branching access flexibility. That's awesome. Uh, as I recall, one of the uh, things that we do, that you do, as this kind of like a, a sidebar thing to shared branching is um, sometimes doing the well, you don't do it yourself with a secret shopper kind of thing and whatnot. Do we have – am I off base on that? Do, do we no, still do that? <laughs> we still do. Um, we do it with a partnership with co-op. 
and always try to say so they'll send in secret shoppers um, just to make sure that everything is going right yeah. uh, one of the big rules that they want to make sure is that there's not any cross-selling so if a guest member comes into you you're an acquirer uh, that you're not going to reach across the aisle and say oh you know I noticed that you had a large balance in your savings account why don't you move that relationship right. to us um, Fortunately, you know, we don't have those cases that come up either in Vermont or nationally, with the exception of a very rare basis. But everybody needs to have integrity and understand that this is a member convenience. We're not going to try to steal each other's members or try to steal people in other type of directions. So we have, um, we still call them secret shops in terms of that, and just to make sure that everything's going well, but just to ensure the quality of the experience. If somebody went in, well, they asked all the right things in terms of the identifications, uh, receipts. If they asked other type of questions, a basic question, were they able to give them a basic answer? Uh, and sometimes when you explain it to people, there'll be secret shoppers and people start getting anxious. Are they trying to catch me doing something wrong? And I always say just the opposite. We usually try to reward you for doing something right. Um, our credit unions in Vermont usually do a phenomenal job. Uh, and we've seen some write-ups that people have gone in and they said it was wonderful. The person greeted me right away. Uh, they knew exactly what to do. I asked some questions. They were able to answer all those type of things. And it's a good member type experience. And that, again, that's done for two reasons. We want to make sure that if guest members are coming into your branch, they feel welcome. They understand. They can have confidence that the system's going to work. And if that's the case in Vermont, we also want the same thing for your members, that if you have a member that's doing a transaction in Montana, they're going to be greeted comfortably, right type of questions. It's going to be secure and they can get their answers. And really the secret shopping network reinforces that all the time. Occasionally we'll find things that some say it would have been better if we asked this or a member mentioned, the shopper mentioned they weren't asked this question. Let's go back to your staff and refine those things to make sure that in Vermont we can have the highest quality experience and the other states are trying to do the same. So when your member travels to the other locations, they're getting a very positive experience. And if that's the case, it adds tremendous value to the network. Well, thanks for the update on those two programs, Brian. I, I know that uh, indirect lending and shared branching are not, you know, for every credit union, uh, but for those that participate, it seems like it's been a real success story in our small state of Vermont, and that is going very well in both cases, and uh, largely attributable to your hard work on both those programs. No, well, thank you very much, and, and many thanks to the credit unions that kind of put our, uh, their faith in us. Uh, to deliver those kind of out-of-box programs for their members. So somebody who wants to find out more about indirect lending or shared branching um, can just do so by contacting you, probably the easiest way is by email at Brian Kent, Brian with a Y, Kent, mm -hmm. K-E-N-T, at VermontCreditUnions.coop, right? And we would be happy to speak with them. Well, thanks, Brian, for sharing that update and all that information about those two programs. Uh, with that, we've reached the end of another Vermont Credit Unions on-air podcast and hope you found it informative. You can hear all of our previously recorded podcasts by searching for Vermont Credit Unions on air in the iTunes store or at smartcloud.com. If you have ideas for a podcast on something you'd like to hear about, send it to podcast at vermontcreditunions.coop. And until our next podcast, this is Joe Bergeron and Brian Kent at the Association of Vermont Credit Unions thanking you for listening.